Welcome to the Tech Heroes Podcast, powered by Intuit. I'm your host, Lucy Shen. I'm a tech evangelist, which means I work with technologists from across the globe to build an amazing tech culture here at Intuit. This podcast is about technologists, the tech that they're obsessed with, and the work that they're passionate about. Tech Heroes is produced by Riley Morales, and our editor is Mark Fassett. Be sure to subscribe to Tech Heroes on SoundCloud or iTunes so you can hear more amazing stories from technologists. To be featured or to nominate a tech hero, email techheroes at intuit.com. To learn more about careers at Intuit, visit intuit.com slash careers. Hello, Harith and Brandon. Welcome to the Tech Heroes podcast. It's great to see you both. How are you both doing today? Hey, Lucy. How are you? I'm doing good. Doing well. Doing well. Thank you for having us. It's good to hear that you're both doing well. Um, if you could introduce yourself, talk about your role at Intuit, and as an icebreaker item, what is a food that you disliked when you were a child, but you really like it now? Ooh. Okay. So my name is Brandon Mitchell. Um, I have been with Intuit for three going on four years now, and um, I'm currently serving as a principal product manager I work in a platform called the Virtual Expert Platform, which is all about um, giving our experts for like TurboTax Live, QuickBooks Live, all of our live offerings, um, giving them the tools and capabilities they need to serve our customers. And I specifically focus on document um, collection capabilities um, that we build for our customers and our experts. In terms of a favorite food that I disliked as a child, but that I like now, the thing that comes to mind, I would have to say, is onions. I did not like them as a child. I remember, like, when we would go to the drive-thru or go to McDonald's or, you know, any of the fast food places, I would always say no onions. But, like, now I can't live without them. Especially, like, in and out onions, I, I, I have to have them on my burger. So that's what comes to mind. Do you get the in and out onions grilled or just, like, raw? I get them raw. I, nice. I, I think I, I like raw better than, than grilled. That's a good point. <laughs> Thank you for, for sharing that. And how about you, Harith? Thank you, Lucy. My name is Harith El-Rufai. Um, I'm a principal software engineer at Intuit here. Uh, I've been for almost 11 years. Um, I work for the QuickBooks Capital team. The team is responsible for offering capital for our small businesses and consumers. Uh, in my role, uh, I focus on the how to platform the uh, product and make it the uh, reusable in various products across Intuit, as well as make it external for other uh, third-party integration and partner integrations. Uh, but I mainly uh, click down or focus more on the machine learning and the data engineering aspect of the product. Uh, so I work with a bunch of data scientists and machine learning engineers across the company. Perfect. Yeah, QB Capital was one of the most um, exciting features for me when I first got started at Intuit. I think it was one of the first major launches when I started in like late 2017. So yeah, yeah, it is exciting. Always very exciting to hear about. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you both for being here. So you've both had, you know, really successful careers in tech. You have fancy titles. <laughs> um, can you tell us about your journey so far? Like, how did you get started? What brought you ultimately into the role that you're in now? Um, let's start with Harith. Yeah, so <clears throat> so I've been here, as I mentioned, 11 years, but I think one of the beauty of Intuit is uh, it's a big company, right? But it's, uh, uh, which really encourages you for mobility. So in my 11 years, I could claim that I had four or five jobs, you know, uh, working in uh, different areas, different team, even different focus at times. Uh, so I started as a, a backend engineer or a, 
a server-side engineer uh, building APIs for uh, our mobile clients. That was back in 2011, you know, and um, evolved uh, to uh, be part of uh, a personalization team uh, halfway through my journey. And I think that's what uh, caught my attention into data and personalization and ML. Uh, but then I quickly went back to platform and uh, building APIs across Intuit. Uh, that took quite some time for me. And then I felt that, you know, I just miss dealing with uh, customer problems, customer pain, uh, have that direct connection with customer. Uh, that's why then when I looked for a mobility move uh, and I found a great one here in the capital team that really gives me the customer aspect as well as it gets me back to the uh, data and ML. Awesome. You've, you've really had quite the journey. It sounds like you've had a very diverse like range of experiences and I hope it's been a fun time. And how about you, Brandon, on the PM side, how is it different for you? Yeah, I'd have to say it, it's kind of two parts. So how I got into product management, I think it's a little bit non-traditional. Um, to make a long story short, uh, when I graduated from school, I worked at Boeing, um, yeah, airplane manufacturer. Um, I was working in uh, California and nights and weekends, I would run my own startup. And so I finally uh, got the nerve to leave my job and focus on that startup full time. Um, and it was trying to raise some capital at the time and that fell through. So I needed like a part-time job to kind of hold me over while I was running the startup. And so I went to work at a restaurant. And so while working at a restaurant and running my, uh, startup during the day, uh, I did that for about eight months. Um, very prominent company reached out to me and said, Hey, you know, would you be interested in interviewing as a product manager? I didn't even know what product management was at the time. So sure, I was like, I'm not going to work at the restaurant forever. This business doesn't feel like it's about to take off in the next couple of months. So sure, I'll come interview. Um, long story short, that did not end up working out. But I knew after that interview that I had found something that I really wanted to do. And so I interviewed for like 10 or 11 other companies. 10 of them said no. One said yes, we'll give you a shot. And so I used my experience from running my own startup to get into product management. So that's how I got started. Um, that was probably about six or seven years ago. But here at Intuit, kind of like how I got to the position I'm in now, um, about three years ago, I joined. I was on the document management team. Um, about a year after, similar to what Rith mentioned, I moved around quite a bit. I've had three different um, roles in the three years that I've been here. So a year after that first role in document management, um, the Intuit came out with a program called the Horizon Innovation Program where anyone in the company could um, submit an idea and kind of run their own internal startup. And so we were one of the, the the few to get accepted into that program to run a startup that would help aspiring entrepreneurs start small businesses. So we did that for a year, learned a ton, had a great time. Um, and around the same time as COVID, the board and the team all decided to move in a different direction. And that's how I got into the virtual expert platform. And so um, through that process, I've almost been here 10 years or two years, excuse me. Um, and it's it's been you know a, a fun ride and a great experience of learning how to be a platform PM. So that's how I um, kind of moved towards going from senior product manager to principal product management as well. So uh, been a fun ride. I've had a, a great experience in product management um, and look forward to continuing to growing my career here at Intuit. Yeah, I love that you've both worked on products that focus so so strongly on the customer, right? That it's really about improving and solving for their pain points. 
All right. Thank you both for walking us through your career journey so far. I know it's never a very straight path. It's a bit of a winding path for all of us. So it's always fun to hear the twists and turns that you've taken. Um, you both also, the reason we're talking to you now on this podcast actually is because you both gave a really wonderful talk at the Afrotech conference. And I thoroughly enjoyed getting to learn more about like the ML driven features that we're building for our users. So for the podcast now, can you tell us a little more about some of the projects that you're working on right now um, on that side of things? Yeah, uh, there are plenty, uh, but let me call out one. So we are working uh, for the past um, easily six, eight months on a project we call it Get Paid Upfront. So today in QuickBooks, uh, small businesses, uh, we look at, uh, we continuously look at all the pain points that customers have, you know, and one of the main point, one of the main pain points is access to money, right? So you always need a cash in hand to buy, you know, uh, um, you know, items that could help you with your business to pay your employees and rents and all expenses, right? So one of the challenges that a lot of the, a lot of customers have is they may have so many open invoices that are just unpaid. So they've been waiting for customers to pay them back. Um, so one of one of the ideas that we came up with here is. If we could study the relationship between this uh, uh, small business and their customer and look at their history, we, we could really determine the likelihood of that customer paying on time or the likelihood of um, the customer paying uh, at all or how soon that customer will probably pay, right? That's amazing. Brandon, do you have any fun ML projects to share with us? Yeah, there's there's quite a, a, a number of things that we're doing Um where we're going to leverage um, AI or ML. Um, so as I mentioned, we're focused on, uh, in the virtual expert platform, my primary focus is on document collection. And so as a part of that journey, there's there's lots of pain points that, that currently exist for the customer and their need to provide documents and also for the expert and their need to collect the documents. And so... Um, one exciting thing that we're looking at um, right now is that today, um, an expert, what happens is when they first sign up for a live offering, there's a phone call that happens um, typically where sometimes it can be two, three hours, multiple phone calls at a time where the experts are trying to understand the the customer's situation. Um, and in, in doing that, there's just a lot of back and forth dialogue. They're trying to ask them lots of questions. So there's lots of time and that the, the customers need to put in as well as our experts. And um, one thing that we're looking at doing is building capabilities to automatically predict a, a customer situation based on the history that we have about the customer using lots of products across the ecosystem. And so in doing that, what we can do is if, Lucy, you were to sign up for uh, one of the live offerings, um, as you come in, we predict um, the information that we have about you. We can automatically then say, well, we know we need to collect these documents from Lucy. Do we already have these documents so that we don't have to ask her to provide them? And we only ask you for outstanding things that we couldn't automatically collect. And so what that does is it, it changes the dynamic for the expert and the customer where the expert doesn't necessarily need to just ask you a ton of questions because they're trying to get information. It's more about welcoming you to the service, welcoming you to the platform, talking about the benefits that you're going to receive, the fact that they're going to be your expert that they're going to work with from this point um, on. It's more about building rapport. 
And so what we want to do is to just remove a lot of that um, drudge and effort on both the customer and the expert. And so those are some exciting opportunities where we feel like we can leverage um, knowledge engineering um, as well as some AI and ML uh, capabilities to do that, to make those predictions. Yeah, that sounds super exciting. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, it's we're in the swing of tax season already and definitely already starting to have these conversations where it's just back and forth with experts trying to get documents ready. So I can see how that really greases the gears. You mentioned just now um, knowledge engineering as a term. Would you mind elaborating on what that means? So knowledge engineering, TKE, the, the tax knowledge engineering graph, it's a graph that our um, a tax platform has used for ages that essentially um, allows um, the system to recognize what information is still outstanding um, from an expert. But I think the power in it is um, it it allow it gives the um, the system and the platform the ability to recognize what we already have, so that we do not have to ask questions. And so, a lot of the um, beauty of TurboTax and the ease and how it feels so simple. Um, comes from that knowledge graph because as you start to answer questions, we recognize that there's questions that we don't need to ask because you've already provided them or that there are dependent questions. So say, for example, you said you sold stock. Well, now I know I need to collect a certain document and there's other questions I don't need to ask you. And so um, the knowledge engineering graph allows us to, to deliver those benefits to customers. Awesome. Thank you for telling me about some of the projects that are ongoing right now. There's a lot of exciting stuff happening, so I'm really looking forward to hearing more about it as well as it all unfolds. Um, but another part of your talk that I really enjoyed was about how you you talked about Intuit D4D. And D4D here at Intuit, for context, it stands for Design for Delight. Um, it's our design thinking process that we do in-house. But you talked about how D4D was used to decide which customer problems are best solved with ML and which ones aren't, right? Because not every problem can be solved with machine learning. That would be you know, way to overkill in many cases or not even a correct solution in others. So can you tell us more about how that process went and then give us a few examples of like where you applied this process? Yeah, and, and specifically as it relates to AIML, I can I can give you a specific example. Um, so right now, one of the problems that we recognize in the information gathering space is that um, as an expert collects all of the documents, so they've asked for everything, they started to collect them, Lots of times, customers, they will provide um, these documents with very nonsensical names. So 123.jpg or XYZ. I'm similarly uh, guilty of naming files like that. <laughs> final, final, final. Yes. Four. yes, yes. And so in doing that, what happens, and we've, you know, going back to D4D, the first step is really getting the empathy that you need to get from the customer. We've observed our experts getting these documents going in and renaming them to something that makes sense to them so they can reference it later. And then they go and organize that document in their own folder structures. And so in doing that, depending on the number of documents, you you know, there's some offerings that we have that need to collect 50, 60 documents. And so they need to do that for every single client that can just take hours and hours of of our experts time. And it's really for a non-value added task. It's not something that they necessarily need to do. And so the second step in D4D about going broad to narrow on solutioning, um, we've identified a couple of different solutions that we could apply to this problem. And a lot of them were more manual. They were like, oh, well, we can, you know, have the customer type in what the name is when they upload the document and, you know, features like that. But we also see that there could be a huge opportunity for automation here. But to your point, in order for us to apply, you know, AI and, and, and ML to this, we need to understand, is there enough data for us to build a model 
that could automatically rename these documents with some high degree of accuracy. And so when talking with a number of teams, we reached out to the Intuit AI team. They are actually able to do classification and extraction given the number of documents that are coming into our ecosystem and build models to recognize, hey, this is a bank statement. Go ahead and classify this as a bank statement, extract all the information from it and rename it to something so that the expert doesn't have to. And so that those are some some things that we're thinking about and working on actually um, here in the next couple of months um, to roll out to our experts so that they can reduce the amount of time that they have to spend for tasks like that. Mm-hmm. Any, I feel like time-saving features are often the biggest quality of life improvement. So that's that's I'm sure they're going to be excited for that one. Cool. Yeah, so just absolutely. summarizing a little, then it sounds like you look at, you know, the host of problems that you have on the table, which maybe you conducted follow me home interviews to gain the customer empathy to understand their pain points. You have the problems on the table. And then it's a question of like, are these problems that can be solved with machine learning? And then what I heard just now, it sounds like num- the first thing is like the potential for automation to solve this problem. And the second um, is about data load. Like, is there like a, a critical mass of data that would be enough to train a model on? Um, do you think that's a good sort of summary of the things you look for? Absolutely. Yeah, I think, I think uh, and Arith, you can jump in here as well. I think that that um, for us is, like you just said, automation. And then how are we going to automate if, if we're using AI ML? There needs to be enough data for us to train a model to do it. Um, so we are, we're going to take a, a little bit of a pivot at this point. We are recording this podcast for release in February, which is Black History Month. Um, and I, you know, you're both two Black technologists, very incredibly accomplished in your in your fields. And I'm curious, though, from your perspective and your experience so far in tech, um, why is it important to have diversity in tech and to have these conversations about inclusion and empathy for the customer? I think, um, you know, as we were just talking about D4D, um, one thing that I've realized just in my time here is I'm speaking specifically as a, a product manager and going through the process of like, you know, how we evaluate and customer problems that we need to solve. I think in trying to gain empathy, which is the first step in D4D, the reality is, is that me as a, you know, one person can only gain so much. So if I look at empathy as like a glass of water, right? Um, I can sit and observe the customer. I can, you know, do follow me homes. I can do interviews. I can have all these conversations, but my glass is only going to get so full. Um, And the reason for that is I can never really know what it's like to sit in that customer's shoes because there could be a customer that's, you know, that I'm talking with and she's a mother and she's a single mother and she's raising three children. I've never been in her shoes. So I don't have that level of empathy to understand how she's balancing, yes, the task that we're trying to solve for, but also the things in her personal life. Um, you know, I I have never been raised any with any other religion other than my own. So I don't necessarily know what it's like to grow up, um, you know, maybe having a different faith. Um, so all of these things, I think, point to when we have to recognize that we're solving problems um, for people and in order to get the the true empathy that we need to solve their problems, we need them to be at the table as well. And so um, just assuming that I can go and get all the empathy and we don't have to have enough diversity at the table in order to bring the right solutions to solve the problems. And even at the leadership level for, um, you know, the decisions we want to make as a business, I think is, is something that we want to make sure we don't miss. And that's why I think it's extremely important 
to have diversity on teams because it just allows you to have a higher level of empathy for the customers that we serve. That's beautiful. I really love the glass of water um, analogy there, or metaphor perhaps, where there really there's an upper bound to the amount of like diverse experiences that we can bring to the table. And so the more people we have at that table and the more the more different glasses of water we have, the better. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I love it. All right, um, Harith, what about you? Yeah, I think this is a great question. Um, maybe I'll give a different analogy than the water. <laughs> maybe one closer to machine learning. So in any, in any machine learning model, uh, one of the key um, metric or the key measures to predict the performance of the model is to look at the diversity of the data, right? Like how the diversity data is. Is your data, um, is, your, is the training uh, for the model coming from, um, you know, is, is focused on a specific population over others? Is there like a, a really good balance between, between all the populations, right? Once you uh, have that good balance, now you're almost um, assured that you will most likely have a good uh, uh, performance, right? Best performance comes from a good, diverse uh, team. Uh, we always say, or there is a saying that says, you know, diversity is a fact, inclusion is a choice. And I think the um, accepting that is the choice that we're all making here, right? And, and, uh, um, and I think it's just a matter of... Uh, really making it from uh, a code or saying to, uh, you know, an actual, uh, you know, like a reality. Um, I hope this podcast may encourage people, you know, to believe in that inclusion and the importance of that. And uh, I think that's all what we're trying to do here. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. So thank you always for taking on um, a pretty challenging topic of, of inclusion um, and diversity. And let's actually talk a bit about other challenges, right? There, there's lots going on in the data and AI fields. So is there any recent development or evolution that you are most excited by in the data and AI fields currently? What's the most exciting challenge on the horizon for you? Um, I think there are plenty. The fintech area, I think, is growing rapidly. And I think there are so many startups, so, so many ideas are just, you know, like floating around. Um, within um, the realm of ideas for fintech, I think a crypto is going to be, uh, will have a big role in the future. Um, I think maybe I'm biased to what's happening in lending. I think lending has a great opportunity. We all see the idea of, you know, um, uh, buy now and pay later. You see that option in every checkout, uh, um, you know, right now. Um, this is going to be huge. One of the good things that Intuit is we are continuously taking training <laughs> every other day. You know, there are so many trainings, you know, consumer training and, you know, um, and legal articles and legal a training that we have to take every once in a while, which are a constant reminder of how we use the data and how to protect uh, and how to protect the consumer data. Perfect. And what about you? What about you, Brandon? What's exciting for you on the horizon? You know, um, Arith kind of touched on it. I think the two things that stood out to me, you know, kind of to continue the the narrative that he had about, um, you know, how we're going to have to make sure that we protect the consumer. One thing that kind of interests me is how we create more personalized experiences. 
and I already see like on the horizon of a lot of things that we're working on. And then also, you know, with other companies, you know, there's this nature to personalize experiences to um, a particular person as they come in. And so um, there's kind of layers to that. There's like, hey, do we recreate, you know, a whole UI just because, you know, this is a person that comes in um, and we know something about them. And there's also just like certain features that you may display as a result of understanding them. And I think there's going to be an interesting balance that we have to play in doing that because, you know, it's it's going to be up to the consumer of whether or not um, they would like you to use that information to personalize their experiences and to what degree. You know, all of us have already probably, you know, gone to a website and realized, like, why am I on social media and I see this website that I just looked at, like, the other day, right? So, you know, kind of the retargeting and thing that's happening. So I think there's going to be a delicate balance that we have to play and think about as we move into more personalized experiences. And the other thing I think that a lot of folks are thinking about, Harith mentioned it with crypto, is like Web 3.0. Um, it'll be interesting interesting to see how that plays out because naturally people will just want to use it because it's the next cool thing. But kind of, you know, to the discussions that we were talking about before, when you identify a problem, you want to recognize, is this something that AI and ML could solve or should we, you know, save this for another problem? I think the same thing will be true for Web 3.0. And I'm interested to see what the best practices and principles will be. Um, and identifying that solution to solve the customer problems that we're we're looking to solve in the future. Yeah, you make a great point there where as the tech industry as a whole has a problem where we see shiny new tools and we get really excited and then they become solutions looking for a problem <laughs> and we get a little overeager in applying them to every problem we see, right? So that that's a good thing to call out. I'm I'm I am definitely very excited to see how it all evolves. Um, let's talk a bit about careers. Yeah, I know we talked a little in the beginning about how you all even got here. But what if someone like an intern or even some like a senior engineer came to you and they're like, you know, I've been in software for a while. Uh, I want to break into ML and AI though. And like I, I hear about like people getting masters and PhDs. Like it seems like a very a lot of barriers to entry to the data and ML field. ML the data and ML field. Bleh, the ML and AI field. Why don't I put it that way? There seems to be a lot of barriers of entry to the ML and AI field. Um, so from both a technical, like an engineering perspective, as well as from a product management perspective, what are your tips for people who are looking to to break into this field in tech? Um, let's start with Harith. Yeah, I think I think the it's much easier now to test the water. I think a few years ago, I think there was a lot of buzz about data and AI and ML. Uh, it was just hard to find or know where to start. I think now there are plenty of uh, platforms that really offer a good number of courses. Some of them are even free. And I feel that uh, a good way to test the water and really test your interest and really gauge how interested you are, is it really as exciting as you think? Is it really as fun as you would like it to be? Is, <clears throat> is to take a, a, a quick a course or two and really just g g get a sense of... Uh, um, of that and see how engaging it is. Um, and if you find it really good, just could, you know, continue on. I think there are plenty of, um, of resources to continue that path, meaning from, uh, uh, you know, other advanced or intermediate, uh, courses that they could pursue, uh, from other ideas out in the horizon that, uh, people could, just grab and experiment and and uh, and and uh, try out. 
I would go with this route rather than um, starting with a big investment, meaning there are many of schools and programs that may offer, say, master classes or even, say, advanced uh, classes for a year or, you know, 18 months with a lot of money, um, which, which are all great ideas, but I wouldn't even go there until I test out the water and test, is this really what makes me passionate and excited? Is this really how, how I want to spend the, you know, the next few years, uh, of my, uh, of my, uh, career? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Answering the question for yourself as much as, um, rather than sort of single-mindedly trying to get into a field that seems shiny and exciting. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, how about you, Brandon? And I love what Arith said about, you know, the level of investment that because you do want to tie you in some ways want to kind of dip your toe in the water and figure out if, is this do I want to get in and swim, if you will. Um, and so I think for for product management, and it's a question that comes up quite a bit. Um, I, I would say one thing that helped me kind of going back to how I got into product management. A lot of advice that I give people is to start your own thing from scratch. And the reason why I think that has been so helpful is because when you're, if you've got an idea, you maybe want to start some business, could be even a side hustle kind of thing. The reason I think that that um, is so helpful, at least as it relates to product management is because you have to think about so many different things, which is the same thing as the job of, of being a PM. There are a lot of folks say that the PMs are mini CEOs, if you will. And so when you're starting a business for yourself, you need to understand who's the customer that you're going to serve, what problem do they have, what solution are you going to build to solve that problem. But then as you start to build it, you even have to think about how you're going to market it, how you're going to sell it to them, how what price should it even be for them to use it in the first place. And there's all these dynamics that you have to think about that come into play um, that you might not get exposed to if you're just focused on one particular function. And so that's advice that I give to a lot of people is like, build your own thing from the ground up, try to get at least a couple of customers signed up to it. And you'll get a sense of everything that a PM typically looks at on a day-to-day basis. And, and I love that, you know, Harith, that you're saying like, yes, you could go, you know, take a, you know, a product management course somewhere and pay a lot of money and spend a lot of time. But given that you might be an engineer trying to switch into a product management field, you can build stuff yourself. And so you might be able to build a solution in a month or a couple of weeks even um, and see and see what that process looks like. So that's advice that I, I give to a lot of people. And the other thing I would say is, um, which is good for most engineers, is to get a really good understanding of like the, the scrum and agile process, because you just need to understand, you know, the the execution, the, the, the parts that come into play for, for from an execution standpoint. But the good thing is if you're coming from engineering you probably have lots of experience in that and understand that very, very well. So I think it's a it's a more natural switch from engineering to product management yeah, than for sure. And, some and from products. your perspective, as specifically a product manager, like in the ML field, is there specific like knowledge or training that you feel like you should be well equipped for before you start on that journey? It's a good question. Let me think about that. I don't necessarily think, you know, that there's a huge differentiation between um, a, a product manager who is in the data and ML than, than, than one that is not, other than the fact that they're typically a little bit more technical. So naturally, if you are 
um, coming from a technical field, you're going to have an easier time um, as a product manager, you know, focus more on the technical aspects of, you know, delivering solutions than you would if you were not. Um, and, and the main reason for that is um, because you're working with engineers on a day-to-day basis, a lot of uh, traps that PMs typically fall into is like, if you don't understand how things work and how things are built, your your team in essence needs to respect the direction of the, the product manager. And so if I'm coming in and saying, oh, you can do this in two weeks, and they're looking at us like, you clearly don't understand how this works and how what, what it would take to develop this type of solution. Um, I, I think that it can be an uphill battle. And so I think that that's something that's extremely important. Um, now, your your level and degree of knowledge in that field, I think, is debatable. You know, I think I don't think that you need to be um, or a data and ML engineer before you become a data and ML product manager. But I think is the importance and understanding of how the field works um, or how to apply um, AI and ML is extremely important for um, a product yeah, manager. That was a lot in, of good advice field. from both of you. Thank you so much for uh, for introducing um, anyone who might be interested in breaking into the field because I've definitely gotten a lot of questions um, with the sentiment of like, oh, it's a very difficult field to break into. So um, it's reassuring to hear from you both that there are ways to sort of get your, get your feet wet a little bit now. Wonderful. Um, so now that we have concluded, you know, the, the big meaty questions I wanted to ask you all, I was hoping to get to know you all as human beings a little bit better and not just technologists. So we are now in the rapid fire portion of our podcast. This part is going to go quick. I'm going to ask you a series of questions and then just say what comes to mind just for fun. And if you totally just want to skip or pass, just say pass and we're, we're good to keep going. So are you ready? All right, here we go. Beach or forest? Forest. Beach. Favorite all-time movie or show? Show, Seinfeld, movie, A Beautiful Mind. You know, the only one that's crazy, the only one that comes to mind for me, and it is very random, but it's rapid fire, is Armageddon. I don't know. (laughs) That's the fun of the rapid fire portion. (laughs) Great. Do you have a favorite quote or mantra by which you live by? Uh, Be the change you want to see in the world. The most important characteristic trait is to be coachable. I love that. What gives you energy and what depletes it? What gives me energy working with fun people, what depletes it, uh, dealing with negative people. <laughs> so what gives me energy is is creating. You know, I love to create. Um, and it's got me into product management. And what has depleting my energy as of late Um are my kids just because they're they're homesick, and so trying to to keep up with them has has depleted a lot of my energy. But I love them to death. Yeah, and I hope you'll recover your energy very soon, and everyone yes. in the household will be recovered as well. <laughs> All right, what's a piece of helpful advice that you recently received? Good one. I was told I need to let go a few things and to scale more, <laughs> to scale myself. So even though I thought I'm aware of that, uh, looks like I need to flex more. <laughs> That's one, yeah. I think for me um, is a uh, piece of advice I've received most recently was to um, focus more on the role more than the job. And I think the advice came from, you know, it's, it's one thing to get so focused on just doing the job really well, but it's another thing to just play the role 
which actually expands your influence across multiple jobs, if you will, um, just to be of a greater impact to our organization. And so that's something that I'm, I'm mulling over and identifying opportunities to do better at that. Who's your personal hero? Uh, I don't think I have a, a one per se. Um, I think I have so many people, you know, in in my life, I'm, you know, like I'm grateful for and uh, many historical figures that have also, um, I owe a lot. Honestly, obviously what comes first in mind are my parents, you know. Uh, I think they have a lot of, uh, um, I owe them a lot for uh, what shaped me, um, the way I think, the way I operate and the way I the values I carry every day. Um, looking in, in say, Black History Month, obviously there are so you know so many people I'm proud of, and um, uh, but looking historically, you know, um, somebody like at Catherine Johnson, I think is a great figure, right? So somebody who's a great you know like mathematician who really made uh, you know a mark on the moon landing right uh somebody like barack obama obviously is uh is my uh political hero <laughs> um just the name three yeah or yeah. four rather i feel yeah. like all of us probably have really long lists of personal yeah, heroes yeah. so i deeply relate to that yeah and brendan how about you yeah, I, I think along the same lines, you know, I think it's a lot of people for lots of different reasons. Um, you know, I'd, I'd say um, my wife is one of my personal heroes for a number of, of, of different reasons. I think that um, she's a, a great champion of our household and has to juggle a lot. And so I see that what she deals with on a daily basis and she's a hero in my book for that. Well, that was, that was such a feel-good way to end this. I love that. Thank you for sharing um, a lot about your personal lives as well. I really appreciate it. And thank you both for taking the time to be on this podcast. It was really great getting to know all of you, your work, um, the things that you're excited for. And I hope that our podcast audience will similarly take a lot away from this episode. Thanks again for listening to Tech Heroes Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes so you don't miss out on any stories of amazing tech heroes. To be featured or to nominate a tech hero, email techheroes at intuit.com. To learn more about our careers at Intuit, visit intuit.com slash careers. Tech Heroes Podcast is powered by Intuit. Our mission is to power prosperity around the world. I'm Lucy Shen. We'll see you next time.